0: Todd's Road Campus near the Hamburg area of Lexington. Over the last 30 years, there's been a shift in the landscape of how we think about the future of the church. Um, the, there's been a rise of a new industry to, to kind of surround the church, and it's the church consultant. Um, they have uh, find, found a way to monetize helping churches move forward in their vision. We, we hear them talk a lot about... Uh, generative processes and adaptive leadership Uh, let's come in and work to formulate a ministry action plan and uh, let's love and learn and lead together Um, it it in some ways speaks my language Uh, change management how do we deal with our emotions and with our heads Um, it's a uh, it fits with my background you know did my mba worked in business we're all about processes and systems We're a church that uh, likes organization and administration. We have three MBAs on our pastoral team. Uh, But there's been, I think, something greatly missing uh, within this church consultant movement. And it's any examination of what the Spirit is doing. Uh, It's a process that you can just kind of come in and plug and pay. Once you pay your $10,000, they'll help you do the surveys. They'll uh, formulate the results and then tell you what to go do. uh, But never actually stops and says... How has God uniquely gifted us? What is God doing in and through the people of the church right now? And and, and these churches spend all this money and then they find that they're still in the same place. And it could be a good place or a bad place. Churches that are undergoing massive growth look for uh, help. Help us understand how we can manage this change. And churches that are dying, help us know how to not die. It's... It's the rage now. Uh, Texas Methodist uh, Foundation has flown a bunch of people out from Kentucky. Me and Teddy were part of this group that flew out there and we talked about uh, decision-based or outcomes-based decision-making. Let's look at the data and whatever the data says is what we should do. Frankly, most of us left that and thought, well, of course we look at data, right? But looking on our past we find that uh, we've, we've come to rely on data and not the prompting of the spirit. We've Uh, began to trust process instead of inspiration. Uh, And it's new. This is not uh, historically how the church has operated. Uh, For most of her life, when when you were managing great change or where you were struggling, uh, you went and you fasted and you prayed and you sought God's face. You uh, examined the scriptures. You came together around the communion table and you sought uh, the Lord's inspiration. Because change is scary, right? Whether it's good change or bad change, uh, we don't like change. Uh, and, and for most of us, this whole last year has been a lot of change, right? Um, the way we do school, the way we do church, the way we uh, shop. Uh, Trish and I have both developed a love of Kroger, uh, Kroger not Kroger, Target Drive-Up, uh, that is uh, new to us. There's uh, how our kids do sports, how we uh, take communion. Change is always hard, but how do we deal with it? I want to suggest that uh, processes and uh, reflection are all great if we take into account God's prompting and God's leading, the work of the Spirit and God's grace. And I think our Acts passage today is a beautiful picture of a church who has to do some massively adaptive leadership, Uh, a church that has to uh, generate new things, who has to figure out a process forward without their leader. Acts starts with the ascension of Christ and it kind of moves from the story of Jesus to the story of the work of the Spirit within the church. And, and at every step, the apostles have to figure out, what do we do now? Now that Jesus is gone, now that he's given us this new mandate to take this to the ends of the earth, how do we do this? And, and, and we see time and time again that the Spirit moves, they make a decision, they reflect and the Spirit moves them again from Peter's speech at Pentecost, where uh, we begin to see the church within Jerusalem grow, uh, t- to how they manage the widows and the poor. We, we need to make sure we have a system uh, where we can care for physical needs. So let's, let's elect some deacons to go and care uh, for the widows and the poor, and let's have the apostles go out, and, and let's uh, invite the Spirit to, to show us where to go. Um, and as, as is the case with change management, that plan works for about one chapter, Uh, By the time they're settled, we no longer hear about these uh, deacons serving at the table. Instead, we we see this kind of new persecution of the church come in where uh, we we first meet Saul before he is Paul, where we uh, see uh, Stephen stoned and we see Philip, the other deacons. Many of the apostles flee from Jerusalem at this time of persecution and uh, this time of of great risk. So uh, Kind of taking two chapters, Philip becomes the primary face of the evangelists. These are the ones uh, elected as deacons, uh, but then quickly have a new ministry of proclamation, of following where the Spirit would lead them and declaring the good news of Jesus Christ. Philip's first call is to go out to Samaria. He, he follows where the Spirit leads, and he goes out there and finds Simon the sorcerer, uh, who, who becomes this, uh, this great fool of someone who is seeking... Uh, but yet still is uh, kind of wrapped up in his own uh, self-interest. Well, if they can do that, give me the strength to do that. Philip and the apostles kind of go through Samaria, bringing the good news and, and seeing it begin to move from Jerusalem. They spent their whole ministry with Jesus who said, uh, for now, Israel is our, our area of work. We've come for the people of Israel, we've come for the Jews, and now that He's died and gone, they're being sent out to these strange lands and these people that have been uh, enemies. And they go where the Spirit leads them. Philip finishes his ministry in uh, in Samaria, and immediately the Spirit comes upon him and says, "Now go down the Gaza way, this desert road from Jerusalem to Gaza, uh, and and just go. Not here's the steps that's going to happen. Here's what's what's next." <laughs> Simply go. And so Philip takes the prompting of the Spirit and goes. He heads out to this road, uh, and it's really where we pick up our story in Acts today. As Philip gets there, meanwhile, an Ethiopian man was on his way home from Jerusalem where he had come to worship. He was a eunuch and an official responsible for the entire treasury of Candace. Candace is the title given to the Ethiopian queen. The spirit of God has put on Philip to go to this particular place in this particular time to meet this particular person, this Ethiopian eunuch, this servant of the queen Candace. We we hear Ethiopia and we picture the little company on the map of country on the map of Africa, right, uh, with all these countries surrounding it. But in their day, Ethiopia is the word for uh, everything south of Egypt. This is the other major empire. Uh, we have records from that time of uh, Ethiopia and and Rome in conflict that. Nero sends people into battle against Ethiopia. This is the southern ends of the earth, and, and uh, as Gentile as Gentile can be. If we thought the Samaritans uh, were Gentile, the Ethiopians are even more Gentile. And the Spirit takes Philip to go talk to him, this uh, Ethiopian man who is a eunuch. Uh, there's really two ways you're a eunuch in the ancient Near East. You're either born that way, or you make yourself a eunuch. Um, uh, when you're born that way, it's, it's really close to what we would have now come to call intersex, and we understand uh, maybe not a clear presentation of either of our gender binaries. But the much more common is you make yourself a eunuch. Uh, the man's testicles are cut off, and usually the phallus is cut off too, and and they now uh, live in this kind of space between male and female. They're uh, not uh, the leaders of a household anymore. But they're not uh, the daughter protected by their father. They exist in this a space where they are uh, not the least bit threatening sexually, but are threatening because of their otherness. But they offer one gift. Women of power, men of power, don't find them threatening. And so they're invited into roles where uh, well, we don't have to be afraid of you. This eunuch is Candace's treasurer. He's got his own chariot. He's riding on the road and he's, he's wealthy enough to own an Isaiah scroll. He has servants himself uh, and has come to Jerusalem. The text says he has come to worship. And, and this is fascinating because he's, he's familiar with this. Uh, this movement of Yahweh, he's, he's hearing about this God who uh, has done these things, and yet he goes to Jerusalem where he is not welcome. Deuteronomy 23 says that the eunuch who has their testicles crushed and their penis cut off cannot be part of the assembly. They can't come in to worship. So this man has driven uh, from southern parts of Africa up with this carriage into worship and is told, there's a place out there for you. You're not welcome in the assembly. And he's undeterred. He goes home reading the text. This is how Philip finds him. This one who has just been shunned to the outside of the community, still turning to the the text of Isaiah and examining it and seeking God's heart. God says, hey, Philip, go run up and catch him. I love this picture of like the chariot just booking it down this little dirt road. Well, it's not a dirt road, it's a major highway from Jerusalem to Gaza, but it's dirty, it's dusty. And Philip's like booking it to catch up. And he's like, hey, let me on. And he catches up to him. And they, they pause just enough for him to like, jump up and roll into the carriage, right? And he finds the eunuch reading Isaiah. He, he most likely hears him reading it out loud from an Isaiah scroll, which is uh, a really expensive thing to have. And, and, and he's just riding down the road walking uh, uh, lit reading the text of Isaiah and he comes to the small portion that we heard uh, but I'd love to share you the broader context of Isaiah 53 this small passage that was part of our Acts reading because uh, I think some of those texts would be more familiar to you. Who can believe what we have heard or for whose sake the Lord's arm has been revealed? He grew up like a young plant before us like a root from dry ground. He possessed no splendid form for us to see no desirable appearance. He was despised and avoided by others a man who suffered who knew sickness well like someone from whom people hid their faces he was despised and we didn't think about him these words from our our Good Friday service it was certainly our sickness that he carried and our sufferings that he bore but we thought him afflicted struck down by God and tormented he was pursed because of our rebellions and crushed because of our crimes he bore the punishment that made us whole by his wounds we are healed Like sheep, we have all wandered away, each going his own way. But the Lord let fall on him all of our crimes. He was oppressed and tormented, but didn't open his mouth. Like a lamb being brought to slaughter, like a ewe silent before her shearers, he didn't open his mouth. Due to an unjust ruling, he was taken away in his fate. who Who will think about it? He was eliminated from the land of the living, struck dead because of my people's rebellion. His grave was among the wicked, his tomb with evildoers though he had done no violence and spoken nothing false. This great suffering servant song of Isaiah, this text that uh, for centuries the Jews had wondered who is this about? Was this about Isaiah himself? Was this about uh, the nation of Israel as a whole? Was this about uh, some coming person who will uh, take the weight of our sins upon them? And, And Philip says to, to the eunuch, do you understand this? And he says, of course I don't. Who is this about? Is it about the prophet or about somebody else? And Philip says, let me tell you the gospel. Starting from this text, he goes through and tells the story of how uh, Christ became the suffering servant for us. How Christ took his our iniquities on himself. How he bore the weight of our sins and took them to the cross. While he was scorned by the world in order that we might find Safety and refuge in him. I'd love to have sat in that carriage and listened as the eunuch heard the fullness of the gospel. This is that holy imagination moment where you sit and think, What what is he experiencing right now? How is Philip telling the story? But we don't know. What we do know is that they immediately come to water and the eunuch says, what would stop me from being baptized? And Philip says, nothing. So they stop the carriage. They get down they go into the water and he baptizes this eunuch. Uh, And then the spirit takes him away and the eunuch goes on joyfully telling the good news. Uh, Tradition holds that... uh, uh, that this eunuch became the founding of the church in Africa and, and the Ethiopic church traces their lineage all the way back to this eunuch. This man who couldn't enter the assembly, who couldn't be circumcised as a Jew, is now welcomed into the waters of baptism, who is uh, fully embraced as people of the Jesus movement, one who can go and share the good news themselves. This 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 new set of circumstances that is difficult for them to understand. See, uh, they talked Isaiah 53, but in many ways, Philip modeled for him Isaiah 56. The Lord says, act justly and do what is righteous because my salvation is coming soon and my righteousness will be revealed. Happy is the one who does this, the person who hold it fast, who keeps the Sabbath not make it impure or avoid doing any evil and avoids doing any evil. Don't let the immigrant who is joined with the Lord say the Lord will exclude me from the people and don't let the eunuch say I'm a dry tree. The Lord says to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, choose what I desire and remain loyal to my covenant and my temples and courts. I will give them a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an enduring name that won't be removed. The immigrants who have joined me, serving me and loving my names, become my servants. Even everyone who keeps the Sabbath without making it impure and those who hold fast to my covenant, I will bring them to my holy mountain and bring them to joy in my house of prayer. I will accept their burned offerings and sacrifices. My house will be known as a house of prayer for all peoples, says the Lord God. The God who gathers Israel's outcasts, I will still gather others and add them to those who are already gathered Philip models that though Deuteronomy says you're not welcome, the prophet sees a day when you are welcome. And in this moment, and this time, even though you are, uh, you are a, a other all around, you're uh, a Gentile of uh, nationality and you are, uh, you're a sexual minority that we don't know how to deal with, you are welcome into the way and these waters are open for you. There's nothing to stop you from being baptized. He models this love of God that uh, somehow uh, burst forth at Pentecost where the movement uh, began in Jerusalem but went across the world saying, it does not matter your nationality, your gender, your whatever. Come and see the Lord who welcomes you in, who will give you a name that is greater than any other name, who will uh, bring you into his love and accept you uh, in this very moment. I can't imagine being the apostles and the evangelists in these days. Your, your whole ministry with Jesus has been very clear to come to the house of Israel. And now things are just bursting forth in good news across the land. We see the movement to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is before uh, Peter has gone to Cornelius, before Paul uh, has gone to the... the Areopagus. This is before uh, Peter's vision of eating at an unkosher table, that, that the Spirit is, is moving to this place of new. Follow the Spirit, Philip, and go. I don't think they sat down to make ministry action plans. I don't think they did SWOT analysis of their strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. I think they looked around and said, Spirit, where are you leading us? And to what are you leading us? And to whom are you leading us? And when the Spirit said, This is what I want you to go do, they went and did it. I think we're in a similar uh, spot these days. In many ways, the pandemic has reset the world's expectations of the church and what she will look like. Uh, most of us have pivoted to a, a virtual presence for most of the year. Many people who uh, weren't really committed to the life of the church ha- have, have kind of gone away. We, we've seen um, us not be able to do the things we love to do. There's things that we... we we feel are uniquely ours, those things that even the Spirit has gifted us. You know, one of the first things I learned about Endeavor is that this is a, a place of hospitality, a place of welcome. Uh, in those 117 sit-downs in my first year, I heard story after story about how people showed up and then felt like family, how uh, regardless of what had happened in their life and their brokenness and their, their hurts with other churches, they showed up and that person said, welcome, we love you. They sat down next to someone they didn't know and they became uh, dear friends who loved each other. There are folks who said, come to lunch with us after church. We'll go and and celebrate together. Your stories were stories of uh, delighting in one another. And for the last year, we've not really had a chance to delight in one another. Churches across the land are asking, uh, what now? I believe... Uh, the time now is not for us to sit and look at ministry action plans, but to deeply, uh, to draw deeply on the Spirit, to to wear our knees out in prayer, seeking God's face and saying, what would you have us do in these days? How might we be a place uh, that that you desire us to be? How might we uh, go where you would send us? How might we hear afresh what you are calling us to do? How might we go to the uncomfortable parts and places to do the things that we, uh, we are scared of or even that we've resisted in times past? Over the last year, this, uh, this daily prayer, uh, I know this is going to sound weird, but has, uh, has renewed my belief that God's spirit is still very active we've uh, we've prayed prayers uh, seeking miracles and, and some of them we've seen and we've prayed prayers uh, and some of them we've not seen but yet we've had this palpable sense that the spirit of god has been with us the whole way and friends my prayer is that we would listen acutely for where god would call us and say go or to whom god would say welcome them we're we're standing on uh, an edge where we get to define what our future looks like. I invite you to seek God's face, to pray for his spirit to uh, reveal himself to you and then for uh, confidence and boldness to go wherever he would lead. Amen? Would you pray with me? Gracious and loving God, and the story that we often breeze past, uh, we see your heart for the world. For those that for so long were other, and in you, our family. We see the story of confidence that when your spirit sends us, it is good to go. We see the story uh, that speaks how Uh, One life transformed shapes an entire land. Lord, would you give us uh, great attentiveness to your spirit? Would you give us a desire to seek your face and to to go to exactly where you would lead us, no matter how uncomfortable, no matter how strange, and to go in, in boldness and do all that you would have us to do? Lord, as individuals, we seek this in as a church. Lord, may the waters of baptism flow in this place as we share your love with the world, as we declare your marvelous acts and welcome people uh, into your movement. Lord, we know that uh, our plans on their own are futile. But with your spirit, they're magnificent. We love you and we praise you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.